I invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 21. We're working our way through this book. We have been for some times now, and we come to chapter 21, and I'll begin reading in verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom he had bore to Abraham, laughing in jest. Therefore, she said to Abraham, drive out the servant woman and her son. The son of the servant woman shall, servant, the maid servant shall not be an heir with my son, with Isaac. And the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. So God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the boy and the maidservant. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice, for through Isaac your seed shall be named. And on the, and the son of the maidservant, I will make a nation also because of her of because of your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar, put them on her shoulder and gave her the child and sent her away. So she went and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the wine in the water in the skin was finished, she put the child under a bush under the bushes. Then she went and sat opposite him about a bow's shot away. For she said, do not let me see when the child dies. And she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. Then God heard the voice of the boy crying and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Arise, lift up the boy and hold him by the hand, for I will make a great nation of him. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and was an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for, again, for the privilege of worshiping. Lord, as we open your word and read your word, I pray that uh, as, as we look at these things and expound this word, that uh, we would be able to apply these things to our heart. Lord, may we be encouraged as well today because of your grace and your faithfulness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we, we have been looking at genuine faith. That is the, the, the topic that we have been uh, covering as we looked at Abraham's life. And as Christ said, it's not the amount of our faith, 
faith, but the quality of our faith. What is our faith like? Is it the kind of faith that we see in Scripture? Or is it some kind of faith that we just conjure up from our own vain imagination? Is it marked by the things that is rejected, that we reject, the sinfulness of the world? Is it marked by the character, or is it characterized by the by the um, uh, commitment, our commitment to God in the uh, pursuit of the things of God? And does it have that enduring quality? Those are the things that we have been looking at. Genuine faith is not just a one-time thing, then. It is a lifestyle. It is a way of, of life. The Bible calls it a, a walk. True believers walk by faith. And not by sight. And what does that look like? Well, we've looked in the past. We've seen the strong faith of Ruth rejecting her own people and following the people of the Lord. We've seen just the opposite of, of that. The lack of faith or a dead faith in Lot's wife when she looked back. Because we saw that her affections are truly for the things of Sodom and not for the things of, of God. And then we come to the man Abraham, and we see that he is a man of faith. He is elevated in Scripture. He has strong faith. But at times we've seen him being weak and wavering in his faith, even almost like a, a sinner, not trusting God at all. But yet we see his faith growing. In the last time we saw his faith was growing, even in the, even in the good times of his life, is being uh, uh, reinforced and growing in those times. But most of the time, our faith grows through pain, through the experience of, of work, through stress, through difficulties, through the struggles of life. That's the way a muscle works. Our faith is much like a muscle and it has to have the tension. It has to have the strain and the pain of work for it to, for it to be, to become stronger. And that place that faith is exercised is within the heart. And that's where the struggle really is. The conflicts of life are within our heart most of the time. Now, it's not necessarily always because of sin or the sin of, of doubting. It can be moral dilemmas and questions within our own heart. It, which direction to go? There are, there are multiple things that it can be. And what we find in this scripture, the sending away of, of Hagar um, was a real struggle for Abraham. And we need to understand this a little bit. Uh, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, and her son Ishmael was, became a threat here. And we need to understand this. So go back to um, Genesis chapter 16, and we'll see the beginning of the problem here. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne her, him no children. And she had an Egyptian servant woman whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abraham, or Abram, Now behold, Yahweh has shut up my womb from bearing children. Please go into my servant woman. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. 
And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. And after Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abraham, Abraham's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her woman servant, and gave her to her husband and Abraham as Abraham's wife. So he went into her, or Hagar, and she conceived. Now, this is, this is obviously of Abraham's own doing. This is a, a struggle over almost two families here because of the sin that Abraham committed. But that was in the, in the past. This struggle that Abraham is dealing with now is, is not sin in the present, but it's still major struggle. This is Abraham's firstborn, and it's a result of, of sin. But this was not the, the son of promise like, like Isaac was. And you have two families here, and there's a conflict with Abraham's life. And you could say, well, he's just reaping what he sowed. He's just, uh, this is just his own making. But that doesn't make it any less difficult. It's not less of a conflict in Abraham's life. And I want us to look at that because I think there's some things that we can learn through conflict about our own faith. But the point of the passage, the major thrust of this passage, the thing that Moses needs to communicate to the children of Israel is that, that uh, Isaac is the son of promise. That God has chosen Isaac and not Ishmael or, or anyone else for that matter. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is revealing himself through these men. And it is not through Isaac. There's a there's a one single heir to Abraham, and that is Isaac. And if it's not through Isaac, then you have the wrong God. And then you have the, the wrong God at work. You have the wrong nation. You have the wrong people. You have the wrong blessing. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so that point needs to come out. It has to be very clear that Isaac is the son of promise. Now, this should be an encouragement to us. This this passage should be an encouragement to us. Because what we see is Abraham, a man of strong faith, is discouraged here. He's struggling here. And that shows us that those who walk by, by faith will still have questions. We will still struggle. Just because we live a life of faith does not mean that we are free from conflict, from struggling within our own life. But God is a God who can help us through that. The source of our struggles, the source of our conflict... Where does that come from? Well, there's three that we find in Scripture that I I just want to remind us of. Number one, from within our own heart. Uh, Paul uh, mentions this, his struggle. But it was a struggle that involved sin. In Romans chapter 7, Paul is saying, The things that I do not do, those are the things I want to do. The things that I do not want to do, those are the things that I wind up doing. And and that becomes a struggle. It's a struggle over over sinfulness. 
Spurgeon said, self is the worst enemy of the Christian has. But there's also struggles within the world, not, not just within our own self, the, the struggle in the, the heart with the, the sinfulness, but struggle with the world. We have conflicts. We will now have conflicts because we are changed. We are different from the world. And it's a difference between light and darkness, oil and water, really. And when light comes, darkness is dispelled. And sometimes that darkness does not like that. And so there's conflict there. But then... The most obvious conflict comes, and this is a very natural thing, the most obvious conflict comes within faith is is between what we see and the principles that we live by. The circumstances of our life, the things that we can see, sometimes conflict with the principles that we live by. The things that the uh, the things that that govern our lives the principles that we find from god's word and and that causes conflict and that's the kind of thing that we see here it's not a result of direct sin it's not the the sin that uh, that abraham is struggling over this is just the result of that in the past and sometimes we don't know what to do sometimes we don't know what god expects of us Sometimes we don't know the direction of our life. But that's what faith is, isn't it? It can be a struggle just to live by faith. We live by faith and not by sight. And that in and of itself is a struggle because we're relying on God. And that's an everyday thing. We don't have all of the answers. God doesn't give us all of the answers. But we depend upon the one who has all the answers. God Himself. He's the one that's that's driving the car of our life, if you want to call it that. Sometimes we want to go here, and we want to go this way, and we want to go that way. But He's the one in charge of our life. And we have to continuously say, not my will be done, but your will be done. And sometimes that's a struggle. And that's what we see with Abraham here. Now, let's go to the principle that we've been saying for several months, several weeks now that genuine faith is at the very core of our being. It's at the very core of who we are and it is seen in the direction of our life. And I'm going to add to that as we depend upon God daily. It's seen in our life as we depend upon God, that direction can be seen. The direction of our life can be seen. And the question that we'll ask is, what is the believer supposed to do when there's conflict? When there's a conflict between our faith, what we, what we cannot see, the dependence upon God, the dependence upon God's Word, and the circumstances of our life, the very things that we can see. There's sometimes a conflict. And that's what I think we see here. Faith in conflict. And there's four principles that I want us to see from this passage. The first one comes from Abraham's promise. Or, I'm sorry, Abraham's problem. Abraham's problem. And the principle is this. Sometimes God demands, God's demands upon us are in conflict with the desires in our heart that conflict with, that, uh, that, uh, that strengthen, and that conflict strengthens our faith. Look at verse 8. He says this, And the child grew 
and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. Now, we looked at this last time a, a little bit, that the day that Isaac was weaned, he was probably two or three years old, this was an exciting time. Look what the Lord had done in their life. It provided for them in their old age. Provided a son for them. He is now weaned. He is moving from infancy now to childhood. He's, he's going to, he seems to be thriving here. And so they throw this celebration. And they bring other people into the celebration. They're celebrating what God has done. And this is a wonderful thing. But many times... Within that celebration, within those times of exaltation of God, there's, there's conflict and there's problems that arises. Isaac is being elevated here. In verse 9, we see some probably some jealousy. But we see Sarah saw the son of Hagar, that's Ishmael, the, is the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, Laughing in jest. Now, that's an interesting term. In fact, it's a little pretty strong term. It uh, means to, to make sport of or to kind of toy with. We would, some translations say mocked uh, or, or to kind of make fun of. But the idea is, is to look down upon. And that's kind of what was going on here. And Sarah caught this. Sarah saw what was going on, that it was not good. And this was more than just a sibling rivalry. There was an age difference of 13 years between uh, Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was 13 years older. Um, that would put him about 15 or 16 years old. That would put little Isaac about two uh, or three years old. And there could have been some jealousy there. That... that Ishmael held all the attention and, and now we've got this new baby and, and he's getting the attention. And so Sarah saw in the future, this is going to be a problem. We need to deal with this now. And the solution then is verse 10. Therefore, she said to Abraham, drive out the maidservant and her son. That's a strong word as well. To drive out is literally to, to put her away, to, to divorce her. That's the idea. And why do this? Because in the middle of verse 10, the son of this maidservant shall not be an heir with my son, with Isaac. Now that's... that's sounds like the, the command that, uh, that God has given Abraham. God has spoken and Sarah is now bringing that back to Abraham's attention and seeing the potential danger here. That God has chosen Isaac and not Ishmael. And the decision is up to God, not up to Abraham. In verse 11 we see then the matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. Distressed him. It brought uh, sadness, it literally displeased Abraham. But it's a little stronger than that in that there's, a, there's an idea of, of injury in this word. He felt it in his very gut. It was gut-wrenching. It just made him sick, maybe at the pit of his stomach. It hurt. 
Now, what was the conflict? Why was this such a big deal to Abraham? Where's the source of this? Well, obviously, there's two families. That, that's a difficulty. But let's look at some of the details, what's going on here. We see, number one, it probably with Abraham's conviction. Abraham sensed the responsibility. He was responsible for this child, responsible now for this uh, maidservant. So there was probably that. He had to protect his his family, we, we saw that with, with even his nephew Lot, that he prayed for Lot, prayed to the Lord for Lot. So we know he, he has that sense of, of his own conviction, own responsibility there. But number two, there's a, another element that you may not know, but culturally in, in Abraham's day, uh, this would have been frowned upon. This was not acceptable. This would have been shameful for Abraham to, to put uh, Hagar out. That would have been looked down upon. Culturally, this was unacceptable. He was not to have done this. In fact, number three, this would have been, there would have been a conflict with the law. This would have been against the law. Now, there wouldn't have been the, the, the law of a nation there, but it would have gone against the code of Hammurabi and the code of Nutsi of his day that he would have been fully aware of. It's okay to uh, if you do not have an heir, to take a maidservant and have an heir through her. But if you have your own son, you are not to put away the maidservant. That was against the law. That was clearly seen in Abraham's day as a bad thing. And on top of that, Abraham's love for Ishmael. If you look back at chapter 17 and verse 18, we see... That Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Could Ishmael not be the, the child of promise? But it was against what God had said. But let me conjecture a little bit more. Because he may be looking at his wife and saying that, Oh, Sarah, you're just a little jealous. There's some jealousy here. And he may be questioning Sarah's motives here. But also, I think, he senses his own, the consequences of his own sin here. He knows that this is all of his fault. So, so his heart is, is heavy. His heart is, is weighty. Now, he knows, he knew that Isaac was the child of promise. God had spoken. There's a higher plane, a higher uh, responsibility that he has. This is the source of the conflict that Abraham has. And it comes down to his desires. He sees, he hears what God says. But it's hard. Within his own heart, he, it, it's sobering. It, it hurts. There's a sober-mindedness to the believer's life, isn't there? We, we all see this. There's a heaviness. God gives joy and God gives peace, but so often the Christian life is just just uh, has a gravitas, a weightiness to it, just because we face a reality of our own sinfulness and we see that conflict. And this is Abraham's problem. He 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 feels the weight of this conflict. No one else can share this burden with him. I mean, he can tell other people, but not to this level. These are 
deep issues in Abraham's heart. It'd be like sending Moses back to Egypt. I'm sure Moses would not want to go back to Egypt. And he argued with God, I don't want to go back. Or David being chased by Saul. It conflicts his heart. Lord, you called me to be the king. And the, the term that we might use would be the same term that we see with Lot in Sodom. That he was, he was conflicted. Living among men of unprincipled men, he says. This is the very kind of thing that grows our faith. This is the very kind of thing that brings that pain of, of exercise and, and stretching and growth. This is the very kind of thing that causes us to depend upon God. We see it here at, in Abraham's life. Sometimes God's demands on us conflict with our desires that that cause us to strengthen our faith, that causes our faith to grow. Now, we've all had these kind of times in our life. What do we do when these things happen? Let me remind you of a verse in Hebrews chapter 13. It's a wonderful verse. I just was reminded of this this week. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. This is, this is at the end of the book of faith. Hebrews is a book concerning faith. And at the end of that, this is Paul's benediction. He says this. Now, and I want you to notice the characteristics of God. Now, the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, the God who keeps his promise, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you in every good thing to do his will by doing in us what is pleasing in his sight. He's, he's this God who shepherds even in our own heart. He is doing in us what is pleasing in his sight. That's an amazing verse. That God is shepherding the heart of Abraham through this little conflict. He sees the, the, the weightiness. He senses the weightiness of this thing. And God is shepherding him through this. It's okay, Abraham. And he's going to shepherd him. Now, now folks, this is wonderful. This is wonderful for us because he is a God of all comforts. He is a good shepherd. Even He can comfort even the, the weightiest heart of Abraham. The most difficult of conflicts. He can calm the seas. He can calm the heart. Even in, in the most distressing time. And how does he do that? Well, Abraham needs wisdom. So let's look at the second section here. Go back to our passage. And we see God's wisdom. We see the principles. is when our faith is in conflict with God always provides wisdom that we can follow Him. When our faith is in conflict, God always provides wisdom. Look at verse 12. So God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the boy and your maidservant. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her voice. For through Isaac your seed shall be named. And that's a wonderful passage there. Kind of reinstating Sarah. In verse uh, and God says to Abraham right away in verse 12, he says, do not 
be distressed. Do not be distressed, Abraham. How can, how can God say that? He's saying, Abraham, you can go through this stressful time, this time of pressure, this situation, without the weighty heart. You can go through this. And he needs to, to be reminded. And we often need that, don't we? We often need the clarity that the wisdom of God brings to our life. And so God is just clearing it up. You know this, Abraham, that it is, it is Isaac, it is Isaac that is the son of promise. Isaac is your seed shall be named after. And God clears that up. Now it's important that God clears this up before Abraham obeys. He needs to understand so that Abraham can obey with a clear conscience here. His conscience is not going to be violated because he's clearly understanding, okay, God has told me to do this. And he can stand against even the cultural norms of, of his day. And Sarah, of course, his wife, Sarah, has clear vision on this. And she is helping her husband. It's a wonderful picture. But you know what? It's still not good. It's still heavy, isn't it? This would be a hard thing to do. It would be like the disciples on the boat in the Sea of Galilee. Christ is asleep and their faith is being challenged here. There's turmoil in the boat because the seas around them. Christ wakes up and says, where is your faith? And he calms the sea. And he's saying to Abraham, and Abraham He's saying that, Abraham, you can go through this. this. You can weather this storm. And we have to ask ourselves, are we supposed to be able to weather these kinds of storms? And God would say, yes. God tells Abraham, or I'm sorry, God tells uh, Paul. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. You, you depend upon me. You trust in me. These are the very times that your faith is growing. You're, the very times that your faith is getting stronger and stronger. And that's what faith is. is dependence upon God. More and more dependence upon God. So Abraham, God is saying, Abraham, don't worry about this. There, there are certain things out of your control that you cannot control. You trust me in these things. Now, God does not speak to us audibly today, but he has spoken and it's in his word. God's word is that clarifying agent in the believer's life. And we are men and women of principle because we we depend, we have faith on the principles of God's word. God's wisdom is is right here in this word. It's the, the way of righteousness. We trust in his word. We're principle-driven, not emotionally driven. God has laid down principles for us to live by in His Word. And we build our life, we build our life upon the rock, the solid rock. Moses didn't know how to lead a nation. And he prays for wisdom. Solomon wants wisdom. He needs wisdom to lead the children of Israel. God gives wisdom. The apostles need wisdom to, to spread the church, to build the church, and God gives that wisdom. And we need wisdom, folks. We need wisdom from God. 
And this wisdom from God is in His Word. And it's the principles laid out for us in Scripture. And God says, if, or James says, if you need wisdom, let him ask from God who gives liberally. And that's what He has done in His Word. We need to take our eyes off the circumstances of our life. And we need to trust God's wisdom. Wisdom from God's Word. We are not to trust... We're not to build our life on the, the shifting sands of culture. We can't trust that. We can't trust the, the faddishness of our day and the principles that we're seeing or being told to us. The things that are cool, the, the, this opinion or that opinion, or the philosophies of men. So often, folks, we, we see, oh, oh, pastor, just tell me, give me the Ten Commandments, I'll live by those. But then when conflict comes, they, they really have nothing else. Because they don't pursue the wisdom of God. There, there's more to this book than just the Ten Commandments. There's wisdom from God. And they fail to see, they fail to pursue the wisdom of God. And when it comes to the conflicts, when it comes to the times when, when they need answers, they really don't have those answers because they don't know the Word of God. So we, we need to pursue the wisdom of God. God gives wisdom. And in number three, we see Abraham's obedience. Look at this. And the principle being here is in conflict, Strong faith has the fortitude to step out and depend upon God's wisdom and God's will. Look at verse 14. Look what Abraham does in this situation. So Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water. It would just be an animal skin that they would have folded up, sewed it in both ends, and it would have been able to contain water, hold water. And gave it to Hagar and put them on her shoulder and gave her the child. Now, more than likely, this, this is the, the giving over the responsibility of this child into her care and, and sent her away. Now, that's the obedient part, right? He sent, he sent her away. So she went into the wilderness and wandered about in the wilderness of Beersheba. So early in the morning, maybe... Abraham is thinking she can get on her way before the heat of the day. Maybe she can find some shelter. He gives her the necessities of, of life, some water and some bread to, to get her on her way. Get her maybe as far to Egypt as she possibly can. And she, he then entrusts this child into her hands to take care of. Again, he's probably 16 or 17 years of of age, but he's still uh, he's still an, a child, young, unexperienced, not knowing, and he sends her on his way or her way. That had to be hard on Abraham. It, it was it, it was not easy. Just think about the conflict in Abraham's mind. I mean, he had. Known Isaac. Isaac was two, maybe three years old. He was small. He was vulnerable. He might even pass away. And he's letting this uh, son go that was 16 or 17 years old that he had already built a relationship with. And 
So Abraham had to sacrifice and say no to his own desires. And to lay aside his wants and lay aside his will and accept God's will in this circumstances. He had to deal with the circumstances. He did as, as much as he can do for her, but then he had to obey. He had to send her away. And he had to trust in God. God's will. God's purpose. God's wisdom. And that takes strong faith. And strong faith has the fortitude to step out and to depend upon God, God's will, and God's wisdom. Christ said you can't serve two masters. <laughs> It's either Abraham's will or God's will. And Abraham obeyed and he chose to submit himself to God's will in this situation. And he walked by faith and not by sight. And that kind of faith is not for the cowardly. That by faith, that kind of faith is is the kind of faith that is strong and robust. It's a faith that has been exercised. It is a faith that is dependent upon God. It's the kind of faith that we see in Daniel as he's being lowered down into the lion's den. It's the kind of faith that we see from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who stands before the king and says, King, we don't care. You can throw us into the fiery furnace. We don't care. We're not going to bow down to you. It's the kind of faith that Paul, after being beaten and thrown out of the city, he goes back into the city. That's a strong faith. That's the kind of faith that we need to have. It's the kind of faith that Christ had in His heavenly Father teaching against the, the leaders of his day. It's the kind of faith that ultimately got him, got him put on the cross. There's a toughness to the Christian life, isn't there? There has to be to have that strong faith. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, he says this, he says, Be strong, act like men. Have a strong faith. Now he's saying, he's saying that to women and to men, but it's the characteristic of their faith. So that they can stand. There's a, a toughness to their faith. A toughness to obey even in conflict. To obey, to obey, to obey God and stand against the culture and say, this is what God says. To obey God and, and to step out when we don't know, when we can't see. We're basing it on principles of God's Word, not principles that we can see. Or it's, the, it's obedience that, that overrides our heart and says we're going to do what is right anyway. We're going to obey God, overruling our own desires. So we've seen the problem, the solution is, is wisdom from God. We've seen obedience there. Now let's look at God's work here. Number four. And the principle being here, when we live by faith, especially in conflict, we must remember that God knows best. Look in verse 15. When the water in the skin of had was finished, she put the child under a bush or under the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bow's shot away. So if you take a, a bow, a bow and arrow, and shoot that bow, maybe 25, 50 yards at the most, 
she goes and, and sets him in the shade and, and she goes opposite of him and, and just watches. She says, do not let me see when the child dies. And she sat opposite of him and lifted up her voice and wept. Then God heard the voice. God intervenes here. Hears, hears the voice of the, the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and saying to her, What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Arise, lift up the boy, and hold, his, hold him by the hand. Give him the support. Don't abandon him. Go after him. Teach him. Train him. For I will make a great nation of him. God intervening here. God's grace here. Verse 19, then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water, maybe a spring even, the the word could be spring. And she went and filled the skin of water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy and he grew and he lived in the wilderness and was an archer. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran and the His mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. This finishes well. This is a great ending to a difficult story. It moves us from from the uh, verge of death to success that the Lord had given. The Lord's working here. Now... Hagar was prepared to, 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 to die, to, pair, to see her son die. She was prepared for that, but God intervenes just because God loved Abraham. And he says, now hold this child, support this child. I'm going to make a great nation from this child. And we see the grace of, of God. And I'm reminded of the verse we see in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 3, that God is able to do more abundantly than than we can even imagine. More than we can think. And you've got to wonder if that's what Job experienced as well when he looks back at his life. Man, God just does even more than I can even, even imagine. Sometimes children, when they're dependent upon their, their parents, they have good parents and they... They, they trust their parents, but they, they just don't see it yet. But, but then, it, then it all comes to a conclusion and it works out really well. Sometimes we have leaders that do that. We vote people into office and they actually do what they say they're going to do. We're, we're shocked and we're surprised. Maybe a, a coach says, you do this and you're going to win this game. And, and we're surprised at it. This is the kind of thing that, that God can do. Now, some leaders are going to fail us. Some leaders were going to disappoint us because that's what leaders do so often because they're limited, because they're not God. But God never fails. God always knows the right thing to do. He has the right wisdom. He has the complete control over every situation. And he sees what's going on. He sees even the the innermost workings of Abraham's heart. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that God knows best. Why is it so hard? When you're, when you're in the boat, 
Christ is in the boat with you. The seas are, are in tumult all around you. Yet they had no faith. They had to remember who this God was, who Christ was, and that He knows best. What are you struggling with today? You know, no one else may know what's going on in your heart, the conflict that's going on in your heart, but God does. And you know what? That's all that needs to know. God knows. And He is a good shepherd. He is. He can take that heart and shepherd that heart and strengthen that faith and move that person. And He can accomplish whatever He wants to accomplish. And it's amazing, folks, how God can give peace in the middle of a storm. God can give Abraham a peace in this conflict when his heart is heavy and he has to do the right thing, so he does the right thing. And, and you know that God gives a peace from that. And we need to do the same thing, especially in conflict. Folks, we need to remember that God knows best. That God knows best. Genuine faith is at the very core of our being. And it's demonstrated in our life, in the direction that we go, in our dependence upon, upon God. What kind of faith do you have? As we've been evaluating these things, and we've been looking through these things, I hope you're evaluating your own heart. Is God working, strengthening your faith? Have you been going through struggles? If you are, and you're coming out, you're, you're obeying God, then your faith is a little stronger every time. And the Lord can give peace in that. I'm just reminded of the song, Trust and Obey. I think we're going to be singing that in just a little bit. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, there's the obedience. He abides with us still. And with all who will trust and obey. That's what the Christian life is all about, isn't it? It's trusting and obeying, walking with the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for being a God who, who not only sees what's going on in our heart and shepherds us within our own heart, but You have all power. You have all knowledge and wisdom. You have all control. And you are good. And Lord, we thank you for, for that. Those comforting thoughts that you are, you are a good shepherd. And we see in Abraham's life that even though his heart is heavy, he can be obedient because of a strong faith that you have given him. That you have built him up to this point. That He can obey You and do what is right. Lord, we, we pray that You would work in our heart. Give us a strong, robust faith so that we can live that out into a, a watching, in a watching world who is seeing everything that we do and seeing the kind of faith that we have. Lord, may it be strong. May it be robust. May we trust, depend upon You every day on a daily basis. May it be seen to everyone. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.